say that the last four months have created a lot of stressful changes is a, a huge understatement. You know, certainly for us as a church, uh, trying to figure out a new way to carry out the mission and vision, trying to figure out how to worship together without actually being able to be together. And that stress is not just within us as a, a church family, but in our communities, in our nation. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic with spiking cases in over half the states in our nation, a, a pandemic that nobody seems to know when or how or what or if it's ever going to end. And then almost weekly, uh, we see these very real reminders of the racial injustice that exists in our country. We we see on the news the 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 deep, often violent divides that seem to be tearing our nation apart. You know, things that we only used to see in other countries and other places are now happening on our neighborhood streets. And even if you haven't been personally impacted by any of these things, just turning on the news or scrolling through Facebook can cause an overwhelming sense of fear and uncertainty. We're all dealing with that. I've been reminded over the last few months of those words from David in the 46th Psalm about God being our refuge when the earth gives way when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And that's what this kind of feels like. Things that we thought were stable, things that we thought we could count on, things that we thought would always be there, always be that way, are coming apart at the seams. So what do you do with that? How do you cope? How do you deal with that? I think part of the answer is found in God's word. In Isaiah 54, verse 10, God says, The mountains may disappear and the hills may come to an end, but my love will never disappear and my promise of peace will not come to an end. See, the more things in life start to come apart, the more important it is to anchor our lives to things that never change, to things that never fall away. Certainly, God's love is one of those things. But notice this verse also says that God's promises are always there. And so for the next month, that's what we're going to do as a church family. We're going to focus on God's promises. And maybe more importantly, we're going to focus on how to anchor our lives to those promises. I mean, there are literally thousands of promises to us from God in His Word. Promises that have never been broken. Promises that are always going to come true. Now, obviously, we don't have time to focus on all of those, but we're going to look at some that I think are very relevant for where we are today. Like We're going to focus on God's promises for the future, to, for what is to come. We're going to focus on God's promises to guide us in our present situation. 
We're going to focus and anchor on God's promises to bring good out of even the bad things that have already happened. Now, I know some of you watching today, you're not buying it. It just sounds like preacher talk to you because you feel like there's already been promises that God made to you that have been broken. You've been disappointed with God and feel like he didn't keep his end of the bargain up. And man, I want you to know, I get that. I've had those kinds of feelings often in my life and especially over these last two years. But what I've also realized is that those things and places where I felt like God didn't keep his promises was not God God being faithful. It was me making assumptions about the things that God had promised. Me putting promises in the mouth of God that he never made. And so if you're feeling a little bit that way today, first of all, I want you to know I'm sorry for whatever you're going through that has caused you to feel disappointed with God because I know how painful that is. But I want to encourage you to, to take this journey with us over the next couple of weeks because I believe that the more you know what God's promises are, His real promises, the things He actually does promise, the more you can anchor your life to those promises. And the more you anchor your life to those promises, not only the the more you're going to become of the person you were created to be, but the less impact the chaos going on around you is going to have in your life. In fact, here's why I say that. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.4 that he, that God, has given us great and precious promises. Why? Why does God do that? Because these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature, to become who you were always created to be, more like Jesus, and to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Man, that's what we're seeing all around us. The brokenness, the evil, the corruption of human desires. God says his promises allow us to not be overwhelmed or crushed by what's going on around us. And that's what this anchor series is all about. And so today we're going to start our journey by focusing on God's promise of personal peace. Peace in us when there's no peace around us. So join us on this journey. You know, most of us equate this idea of peace with a sense of calm. You know, calm around me, calm within me. That being at peace is about, you know, being in a place I want to be, surrounded by people that I want to have around me, doing things that I want to do. That's not peace. <laughs> That's a vacation. And I think vacations are great, and I hope you've had a chance this summer to get one or, or that you're going to be able to get one soon. But God's promise of peace is not a two-week break from the rat race. It's His peace in the rat race. You know, most of us think of peace in terms of 
absence, you know, the absence of conflict or struggle or difficulty. But the peace God offers us is not about absence, it's about presence. His presence with us in the chaos. And so the question is, how do I get that kind of personal peace? Or or more importantly, how do I anchor my life to God's promise of personal peace? Well, the first thing that we have to do is have peace with God. You, You can't have the peace of God without making peace with God. You know, when I think about that phrase, making peace with God, I always think about that great scene in the movie Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dan is, he's up on the top of the mast of the shrimp boat in the middle of a huge thunderstorm. and He's screaming at God and God is answering back with thunder and lightning. And it's this showdown between Lieutenant Dan and God. And then when that scene ends, the next thing that happens is you, you see Lieutenant Dan with a calm about him. Like everything's okay now. A life full of strife and bitter and angerness has all been solved because as Forrest said, he made his peace with God. Well, well, that's a great scene in the movie, but that's not what making peace with God really is. It's not about having it out to God, to, with God and having some kind of gentleman's agreement between you and God. Making peace with God is about bridging the gap that exists between you and God. See, the reality is God is holy. He is perfect, and we are not. And there's this huge gap that exists in all of us between us and God. Our brokenness, our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings, all of those things have separated us from God. And that gap has to be bridged. But the great news is you don't have to bridge that gap because God already has. Notice what the Bible says in Romans 5.1. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, By faith, we have peace with God. Not because of our hard work or what we've done or how we've behaved, but because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. You know, much of my life I always felt like getting right with God meant that that I needed to be a better person. I needed to go to church more, read the Bible more, pray more, do more things to help people around me. The problem was I could never be good enough for long enough. Oh, I could keep it up for a while, for a season, but I always found myself going back to the same old selfish ways. And the same old brokenness, the same old struggles continuing to control my life. And it wasn't till I really understood the good news of the gospel, the truth that Jesus didn't die on a cross so that I could become a better person. He died on a cross so that I could be transformed into a totally new person. Not a perfect person but a person who was now in a right relationship with God. And the Bible is very clear 
that we receive that through faith. It's not some magic prayer formula. You know, it's not some four happy hops to heaven. It is a conscious choice to choose to believe that what the Bible says is true. That God wrapped himself in human flesh, entered our world, bridged the gap that existed between us so that we could be reconciled with him. We could have peace with him. And, and if you've never done that, or, or maybe you're not sure, maybe you know when, a, when I was a kid, I, I was baptized or sprinkled or went through a class, but if you're not sure that you've made peace with God, why not make that step today? You don't, you don't have to pray some formula prayer. You, you don't have to come to a church building or, or any of those things. You can just do it right where you are. You don't even have to close your eyes. You can just say, God, I recognize my need for you. I recognize that I have no peace because I'm not at peace with you, my creator. And so right now, I don't, I don't understand it, but I do want to receive your forgiveness. I admit I can't do it on my own. I want to receive. I am choosing today to believe that you bridge the gap, that Jesus Christ really did come live a sinless life, die a brutal death in my place to pay for my sins and to allow me to be at peace with you. You'll never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You know, having peace with God is the first step to accessing God's promise of personal peace, but it, but it doesn't end there. There's a second thing we have to do to experience God's peace, and that's consistently ask God for it, right? I mean, what good is it to be at peace with God and not ask for peace from God? It's kind of like somebody gives you a brand new vehicle, which is great, but you never drive it. You never get in it. It's not much good to you. It's the same with God's peace. Asking God for His peace, it's not a one and done thing. It's a daily thing. In fact, for me, it's a multiple times of day need. You know, if, if God were a doctor and you were his patient and you were to say, man, my, I've got stress, I've got chaos, I'm, I'm freaking out. God's prescription for peace for you would be just that simple to ask for it. In fact, this, this is the prescription God writes for us for his peace. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
You know, as Christ followers, we, we have this tendency to overcomplicate things, to overthink things, like right? so, so we read this passage and, and we don't see God's prescription for peace. We see a laundry list of things that we need to do. Oh, well, if I want peace, then I, first I got to stop being anxious. I got to stop worrying. Don't worry. Don't worry. You ever tried that? It doesn't work. We look at this passage and we, we see some kind of magic formula for prayer, some kind of outline as to how we're supposed to pray. Okay, I'm supposed to pray with, with supplication, which just means humbly. So I'm supposed to first step, be humble. And then second step, I'm supposed to give thanks. And then after I've done that, then I'm supposed to let God, what I know, let Him know what I need, make my request. But that's not what this passage says. This is not a list of different types of prayers. Yeah, there are different types of prayers, and they're found throughout the Bible. But this is purely a request of God. I mean, look at what it says. It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's just asking God for His peace. And when you do... God provides that peace, a peace that is beyond your understanding, beyond your circumstances. And notice it says that peace will guard your hearts, right? Your emotions and your mind, your thoughts. It's interesting to me that Paul used that imagery of a guard, something standing guard, someone standing guard over your heart and your mind. I mean, think about that. Well, what is the purpose of a guard? You, you put a guard in front of your house to keep bad things from coming in and to allow the good things to come in. But you don't wait to put that guard in place after somebody's already broken into your house, right? Let's say your neighborhood's had a, you know, a whole string of break-ins. You, you don't wait till they're breaking into your house to, to call the security company and say, hey, can you send a guard over? It's too late. And you have, how often do we wait until our world, our lives, our relationships, our finances have, have fallen apart and then we go, oh yeah, God, please give me your peace. No, we need to ask God for his peace, for his peace to guard how we think, to guard our emotions because I am convinced in fact I know from my own experience the more consistently I ask God for his peace the more I actually experience his peace in my life anchoring our lives to God's promise of personal peace it it starts with having peace with God and then consistently asking God for His peace. But there's a third thing we need to do, and I believe it's probably the most important thing if we want to have the peace of God, and that is to stay focused on Jesus. You know, and in the same way we need to consistently, daily ask God for His peace, we need to consistently and daily focus on Jesus. Because the truth is, if the, the only time you really focus on Jesus is for an hour on Sunday morning at a service or watching it online or being at your campus, you're going to find God's peace elusive. 
In fact, maybe for some of you over these last four months, you've struggled with that. Because see, the truth is that worry, that stress, that anxiety, those fears you're dealing with, they're actually not caused by your circumstances. They're caused by what I choose to focus on in those circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that circumstances don't matter or don't affect you. and I'm certainly not trying to minimize the struggle or pain or difficulties that you're going through. That, that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is that those circumstances don't have to control you when you choose to focus on Jesus. In fact, I'm not the one saying it. It's what God says. Notice Isaiah 26.3. It says, you, talking about God, you, God, keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. That word stayed literally means a laser-like focus on Jesus. I'm not talking about some kind of New Age mumbo-jumbo meditating Jesus, focus on Jesus, focus on Jesus. And, and I'm not talking about trying to have some kind of positive mental attitude where you just look on the bright side and only focus on the good things. I'm talking about trusting in Jesus to the point that my eyes are always on Jesus seeing anything and everything in my life through the lens of Jesus. Who He is, who He says I am, what He's doing in the circumstances around me. Notice that, that this verse in Isaiah says, you keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is fo focused or stayed on you because He trusts in you. There's always a link between trust and focus. We focus on what we trust in. You, you can't focus your way into trusting Jesus. You can't meditate your way into trusting Jesus, but you can trust your way into focusing on Him the more you make the conscious choice day in and day out to trust Him enough to be willing to stay focused on Him. So I guess here's my question. What are you focusing on right now? What have you been focusing on over these last four months? You've been focusing on your problems or the problems in the world around you. There are plenty of them. And they are significant. They are real. Have you been focusing on your fears? Maybe you've been focusing on yourself. You've been seeing everything in your life through the lens of me. Or maybe for you, your focus has been on others. What they are doing or what they are not doing. What they should be doing or what they think or, or what they say. Focusing on anything other than Jesus will lead to worry and fear and anxiety. Focusing more and more on Jesus will lead to more and more of His peace in your life. 
And I want to tell you there is nothing like the peace of Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing you wouldn't trade for that peace of Jesus if you knew what it was like, if you experienced it. And so that's what I, I want to encourage you to do. In fact, I think if Jesus were sitting here with us today, with all that's going on around us, I think he would say to us the exact same thing he said to his disciples when their world and their lives were coming apart at the seams. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that through your power, you have overcome every problem we see around us. You've overcome every brokenness that exists within us. You have broken every chain that holds us in bondage. I thank you for that. And Father, I pray that we would run after your peace like nothing else. That we would be done with chasing lesser things. That we would be done with chasing after material things or circumstantial peace or or financial gain or the opinions of others or status for ourselves and that we would pursue trusting you more because your promise, God, is in that we will find your perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen.